and turn to Psalm 48, if we could this morning, Psalm 48. We're going to continue in our series on generational hope. And so we're going to do that in Psalm, in the book of Psalms, and specifically Psalm 48 this morning. The Bible says there that this psalm is a song and psalm for the sons of Korah. We know that Korah was a Levite. Uh, he was the cousin of Moses and Aaron. And he was the one that engaged himself in the rebellion against God's authority that he had put on Moses. And because of that, there was an earthquake. The earth swallowed him up. But the wonderful thing is that the sons of Korah did not experience that same wrath. Uh, they experienced the mercifulness of God. And it seems like whenever you have a psalm that is entitled to the sons of Korah, it always seems like there's a deeply spiritual nature to it. And I believe it's because of the loving kindness and the mercifulness that they experienced, even though their father had rebelled against God's authority. And so Psalm 48 is no different. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Let's read if we could. If you found your place, and I hope you have everybody there. If you found Psalm 48, say amen this morning. Are you there? It sounds like everybody's there. Let's stand if you're physically able. For the reading of God's Word will allow the children to be dismissed to Junior Church and to Toddler Church this morning. Psalm 48, a song and psalm for the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord. Isn't that what they just sang about? Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Some of y'all were singing that, weren't you? Because that just song just popped in your head there. God is known in her palaces, speaking of the city of the great king. He is known in her palaces for a refuge. Let us hide ourselves in him. That's what Brother Stephen and Miss Pam sang about. They, or excuse me, verse 4. For lo, the kings were assembled, they passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there in pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. And so I want to bring you a message this morning entitled, This God. Father, thank you for the time you've given us this morning. Teach us, help us, remind us of the truths of your word. And Father, if there would be one here today or maybe even a handful, Lord, I, I do not know. But if there would be anyone here this morning without Christ, they've never been saved. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they understand that they need Jesus Christ. Father, for those that might be here today who would give testimony, who have no doubt about their eternal destination, they know that they're saved, they've been born again, Lord, I pray that this morning we would be stirred to be reminded and remember that You are this God and this God is our God. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us and stir us in these next few moments. Be with the children next door. Father, I pray that you'd use this time in their hearts. May the Word of God pierce and strengthen and help and teach today. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated this morning. Many believe that this psalm, Psalm 48, was penned to commemorate the Lord's defeat of the Assyrian army when Hezekiah was king of Judah. And its content could definitely bear out that belief. And by the way, we'll, we'll make some references to that this morning. Because what joy would have exuded from the lips of a people whose God defeated 185,000 
enemy combatants in one night. And they never had to lift a sword. They never had to lift a finger. Some believe that Psalm 48 is a reference or is prophetic in nature and references the millennial reign of Christ. And by the way, I believe it does. With Psalm 46, 47, and 48 being a trilogy of psalms that speak to the millennial reign of Christ. And again, that is definitely possible based upon the content of Psalm 48. But the truth is this morning, no matter the setting or the timing, not that they aren't important because they are, but no matter the setting or the timing of Psalm 48, its truths are constant. And the truth that we want to focus on this morning, the, the, the especially constant truth, is found in verse number 14. This God is our God. And if the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, if they're going to set their hope in God, as Psalm 78 says, if they're going to set their hope in God, they must come to the personal belief that the God of the Bible is their God. And by the way, this morning, I'm not just saying that, yeah, we talk about God, and yeah, that God is my God, the God of the Bible. Listen, if the God of the Bible is our God, it's going to change the way we live. We talk about God, and we reference God, and we say we have faith, and yeah, the God of the Bible, He's my God, but is He really? The psalmist said, this God is our God. This God, who is the great king of this city, of Mount Zion, of Jerusalem, He is our God. And if these kids right here, I say kids, these teenage boys right here and the little ones that just left us, if they're going to set their hope in God, they have to come to a moment in their lives where they say, this God, the God of the Bible, is my God. Not that God, not that hobby or that entertainment or, or, or that little G God, but the God of the Bible is my God. And they're going to have to come to that point, and I pray that we would help them come to that point. So the question is begged this morning, who is this God? And why does He deserve for us to say this morning that this God is our God? And so I hope to show you that this morning from Psalm 48. If you have a bulletin, you have the outline on the back. And so number one this morning as we speak about this God and why does He deserve to be our God forever and ever? Why did the psalmist say that He was His God forever and ever? Number one, this God, the God of the Bible, is absolute in His authority. Why does He deserve to be our God? Because first of all this morning, He is absolute in His authority. He is preeminent in His authority. Notice what the Bible says there in verses 1 and 2. Sennacherib, uh, the, the, the king of Assyria, he boasted. He boasted of being the great king. And we could go back and, and we will in just a little bit. But in 2 Kings chapter number 18, in verses 19 and verse number 28, one of his servants, one of his captains came to, the, uh, to Judah, to Jerusalem and and really he was threatening and he was trying to put fear into them. And he referenced Sennacherib as the great king. And the Bible says here in verses 1 and 2, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation. Speaking about where Mount Zion was and where Jerusalem is, the, the location where it is situated. It is absolutely beautiful. That's what it's speaking of there. He says, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. By the way, again, could very well be a reference to the millennial reign when Christ reigns from a for a thousand years. He says, the great king. Why does he deserve to be my God? Why does he deserve to be our God? Why does he deserve to be the God of Maranatha Baptist Church? Because first of all this morning, this God, not that God, not some other God, this God is absolute in his authority. The phrase there, the sides of the north, was a supposed reference in ancient times to the home of the legendary gods. However, it is and was the home of the living God. Isaiah 14, 13 also uses the phrase size of the north to reference heaven. So it may be a hint of the heavenly Jerusalem during the millennial reign, but no matter, the, seated upon the throne is the great king. 
He is absolute in His authority. So here, here's what that means. Whatever the Bible says is authoritative. And whatever the Bible says, I should listen to it. And so whatever the Bible says, I can't pick and choose and say, well, I'll, I'll obey this, but I, I, I don't want to obey this because, listen, by the way, we're living in 2022. Everything in the Bible doesn't apply to 2022. It's not relevant to the year 2022. Every part of the Bible is still relevant to 2022. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It doesn't say for this generation, but not that generation. It says, and is profitable. So number one this morning, this God is absolute in His authority. What is He absolute in? First of all, His Scriptures are absolute. His Scriptures are absolute. Proverbs 19 and verse number 21, no ambiguity, no question, they're absolute. Proverbs 19, 21, the Bible says there are many, excuse me, many devices in a man's heart. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. His Scriptures are absolute. I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, but uh, I, I saw a good quote. Matter of fact, my, my, my son showed it to me this week. A good quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, The Word of God is the anvil upon which the opinions of men are smashed. His Scriptures are absolute. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. It will never let us down. The psalmist in Psalm 119, as we saw in Sunday school this morning, verse 111, he says, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever. His Scriptures are absolute. Secondly, His salvation is absolute. This God is absolute in His authority. His Scriptures are absolute. His salvation is absolute. The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no way to get to heaven. There's no way to have our sins forgiven except through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no good works. There's no other path. There's no church membership. There's no baptism. There's no offering. There's nothing that's going to get us to heaven. Nothing that's going to have our sins forgiven. There is no other salvation except through the shed blood, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts 4, verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. Listen, Maranatha Baptist Church is not going to get, to get you to heaven. We'll tell you how to get to heaven, but just being a member of Maranatha Baptist Church is not going to get you to heaven. Being a good person is not going to get you to heaven. I look at an auditorium that has people who are good people. And I know that because I know you. But your goodness is not going to get you to heaven. Your forgiveness from the good man, from the good one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God man, is the only way I'm going to get to heaven. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, no other religion. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His scriptures are absolute. His salvation is absolute. Listen, friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you can know Him before you leave today. If you're here this morning and you're counting on, on, on the fact that you're better than somebody else or you're better than your neighbor or you're better than, than, than this group of people and that's going to get me to heaven or, or I, I put money in the offering plate or I've been baptized. and Boy, you hear that one all the time, don't you? Hey, are you going to heaven? Yeah, I was baptized when I was 12 years old. That's good. What happened before you got baptized? Did anything happen before you got baptized? Because if it didn't, you're not saved. The waters of the baptistry don't save us. They may wash some dirt off of our physical bodies, but they don't wash our sins away. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sin. His scriptures are absolute. His salvation is absolute. And then thirdly, His sanctification is absolute. Notice what the Bible says here in Psalm 48, in verse 1. It speaks about the mountain of His holiness. His sanctification is absolute. Look, that's why we can't just talk about the name of God and then in the very next sentence have some curse word. Listen, I, oh, careful, careful, careful. We, we live in a world that uses God's name in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so flippantly this week. I was talking to someone this week. Listen, a Christian, a Christian. We were just in, in casual conversation and, and, and we, we, we got to talking and before he knew it, he used the name of Jesus Almost like a slang curse word. He, 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 he didn't mean to. I just looked at him like, oh, I'm so, without even thinking. He used his name so flippantly, like a slang word, almost like a curse word. 
Listen, His sanctification. When I get saved, I am sanctified. I am set apart. But as I live upon this earth, Jesus Christ wants to daily sanctify me and transform me into His image, into the image of His holiness. Beautiful for situation. Listen, Jerusalem, the city of the great God, was not great because necessarily of its location or because it was Jerusalem. It was great because it was God's city. By the way, we just saw this last Sunday night. What happened to that great city when God took His hand of protection off of it? When God removed His presence from Jerusalem, what happened? It was a reproach. It was a byword. The, the other nations mocked at her and said, This used to be... And by the way, references Psalm 48. This used to be the city of, of that great God. This used to be the... the uh, Joy of the whole earth, it says in Lamentations. This city. You see, it wasn't just because of the location. It wasn't just because Jerusalem was something great in and of herself and because of its people. It was great because of the people's God. His sanctification is absolute. The Bible says in John 10 and verse number 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We mentioned this Wednesday night, but listen, dear friend, God didn't just save us to keep us out of hell. He saved us to live for Him right now. He saved us for us to be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved us to do something for Him. Because here's the truth, if He just saved us to miss hell, or excuse me, to miss hell, then as soon as we got saved, He should just take us home. If that's all it's about. No, no, no. He saved us to live for Him. He saved us to live the abundant Christian life. His sanctification is absolute. This God is absolute in His authority. 1 Peter 1.15, the Bible says, But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. He's absolute in His authority. His scriptures are absolute. His salvation is absolute. His sanctification is absolute. So here's the truth this morning. This God ought to be our God, and if He is, He is absolute in His authority. So this should be my absolute authority. This should be my absolute authority. Not what the world says, not what culture says, not what society says, not even maybe what a good man his opinions may be. The Word of God is the anvil upon which the opinions of men are smashed because they're just that. They're opinions of flesh. They're opinions of men. This is absolute. This is authoritative. So when it makes a command, when it makes a directive, when it gives us a precept, when it gives us a testimony, when it gives us a judgment, we ought to listen to it. Because it is absolute in its authority. And that's why this God ought to be my God. This God ought to be your God. Number one, this God is absolute in His authority. Number two, number two, not only is He absolute in His authority, but number two, and this is kind of what Brother Stephen and Miss Pam sang about this morning. Secondly, this God is our fortress against the foe. Would you look at verse number three? The Bible says, God is known in her palaces for a refuge. In all of the palaces in the great city, in the city of Jerusalem, in Mount Zion, the people in her palaces know that God is their refuge. Look at verse number 4. The Bible says, For lo, the kings were assembled, they passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there. In pain as of a woman in travail, thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. This God is our fortress against the foe. By the way, let me say this. It is amazing sometimes how that the foe thinks more of our refuge and our fortress than we do. You remember when the spies came to Rahab in the promised land? What did she tell the spies? She said, we have heard of what your God has done for you. 
when Balak called Balaam to come and curse Israel, why did he do that? Why did he want Balaam to come and curse the nation of Israel? Because he had heard about what their God had done for them. What about, what about in the book of Joshua? What about the Gibeonites? When they came and they were deceitful with Joshua and they wanted to make a league with Joshua and the nation of Israel, why did they do that? Because they had heard about not just the Israelites, they had heard about the God of the Israelites. Listen, not only is He absolute in His authority, but He is our fortress against the foe. He is our fortress when the tempter comes and tempts. And we spoke about that Wednesday night, about how we need to pray for the brethren and we need to pray for each other because the tempter tempts. Because the tempter comes and brings temptation after temptation. And God is our fortress against the foe. He is our fortress when we are besieged. When we are besieged, He is our refuge. He is our fortress. Take your Bibles if you would. Would you take your Bibles and go back to 2 Kings? 2 Kings chapter number 18. This is the story of Sennacherib. And this is the story of Rabshakeh, who is one of his servants, one of his uh, captains who comes and he's threatening Judah and threatening Hezekiah, really the, the people of Judah. He's trying to make them fearful. When we are besieged, He is our refuge. And the Assyrians have come to besiege Judah and to, to overtake Judah. The Bible says in verse number 17, And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. Field, excuse me. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, speaking now to Hezekiah, Thus saith, here's one of those references to Sennacherib being the great king. He says, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Hey, what confidence is this? We, we have defeated... By the way, drop down. Let, let, let's just read it. Look down uh, verse number 34. In verse 30 he says, Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Verse 34, Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? that the Lord should, excuse me, should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand. He's saying, look, look at all the other kings, look at all the other cities, look at all the other places we have defeated. Do you think your God is going to save you? This is Sennacherib. This is the great king of Assyria. Look at all the peoples he has defeated. The Lord, as you call him. You really think he's going to protect you? Notice verse number 36. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. Now I don't know everything that was involved in Hezekiah's reasoning for telling them that. But maybe it was just simply, hey, let's let God answer we don't have to answer them. Let's just let God answer them. By the way, that's what He's going to do. Don't, don't say a word to them. When they come and threaten, when they come and make all these derogatory statements about our God, just don't answer. Let's let our God answer. Number one, He's absolute in His authority. Number two, this God, this God, our God, is our fortress against the foe. When we are besieged, He is our refuge. Secondly, when we are belittled, He is our refuge. He is our fortress. Again, in verse number 30, you're going to trust in that God? Verses 34 and 35, look at all of the other kings that I have defeated, all the other cities that I have defeated. When we are belittled, He is our refuge. Thirdly, when we are beguiled, he is our refuge. He is our fortress. Let me read you. By the way, we are in Psalm 48. Would you look at Psalm 32? What does the Bible say in 1 John? When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. 
When we are beguiled, He is our fortress. What does the word beguiled mean? It means to be deceived. It means to uh, be deceived to the point of falling into sin. Who, who in the Old Testament, who in the Psalms was beguiled, fell into sin? It was the king himself, King David. In Psalm 32, this is one of the, the repentant Psalms. Psalm 32, Psalm 51 a psalm of David, masculine. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. That's speaking of when David did not confess his sin. When he kept silence, his bones waxed old. Verse 4, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. Listen, if you're here this morning, believer with unconfessed sin, stop living in despair and confess it. Get it right with God. God is our fortress even when we have been beguiled. Verse number 5. Verse 4, he says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He says, I've cried so much, can't, I can't cry anymore. My moisture has turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. There you go. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. When we are besieged, yes. When the devil comes and tempts and tempts. When we are belittled, yes. When we are beguiled, yes. He says, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. This God is our fortress against the foe. When we're besieged, when we're belittled, when we're beguiled. Fourthly, when we are betrayed. Psalm 3, would you go there? We read this in Sunday school this morning. Psalm 3, when we are betrayed, He is our refuge. Psalm 3 is a psalm of David. The Bible says, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Absalom seeking to take the kingdom from his father. He is rebelling. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. By the way, it wasn't just his son either. It was Ahithophel, his faithful counselor and friend. Verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. Why should this God be our God? Because He is absolute in His authority. Because He is our fortress against the foe. When the foe besieges, when the foe belittles, when the foe beguiles us even to the point where we fall. We, now hopefully we don't fall. Hopefully we're, we're, we're yielded to the Spirit and, and, and we're armored as Ephesians 6 says. But David fell. And David said, you're, my, you're the lifter up of mine head. God, you know how emotionally down and Distraught I am. This is my son. He's come against me. But you're the lifter up of mine head. You're the one that gives me the strength that I need. You're the one that gives me the encouragement I need. You're the one that gives me the courage, faith in your promises. And when we are betrayed, He is our refuge. If you're taking notes, we're not going to go to all these, but would you write down Psalm 46? One of the great... Psalms that speaks about God being our refuge. Would you write down Psalm 57? 
Psalm 57, verses 1 through 3. Again, a psalm of David when he excuse me, fled from Saul in the cave. He says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God, most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. This God ought to be our God because he's absolute in his authority. Absolute. That's why we can trust it. That's why we can obey it. That's why we can walk in it. That's why we can heed its precepts because we know that it's always for our good. Absolute in his, excuse me, in his authority. He is our fortress against the foe. And then number three, and we'll be done. Look, if you would, at Psalm 48, at verse number eight. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Selah. Not only is He absolute in His authority, not only is He our fortress against the foe, but finally this morning, this God has a testimony of triumph. This God has a testimony of triumph. Whether Psalm 48 is speaking of, uh, of Hezekiah and God's defeat of the Assyrian army where the Bible says that he defeated 185,000 Assyrians in one night. They woke up the next morning and they were defeated. Whether it's referencing that, whether it's referencing the millennial kingdom, this God has a testimony of triumph. He always wins. He always wins. Every single time. You say, but oh, pastor, look at our world right now. How can we say he's winning? He wins every single time. The kings of the earth, they rage against him, Psalm 2 says. The heathen rage against him, but he will win. Why should this God be my God? Because he has a testimony of triumph. Let me ask you this morning, whoever your God is this morning, and I'm not talking about some false god, Molech or Ashtaroth or any of the gods of Egypt that the ten plagues struck against when they came out. I'm not, I'm not speaking about those gods, but does your God have a testimony of triumph? Let's take the God of money. I think all of the ones, I don't think anybody here, there used to be some of our folks that sat in the back corner. I think Miss Faye may have been the last one. Or actually, no, no, no. Miss Irma, if she was still here. Some folks lived through the Great Depression. They have a different outlook on money that some of us today have because we've never gone through anything like that. So does the God of money have a testimony of triumph? Has a very weak testimony, doesn't it? You see, we make so many things our gods that have no testimony of ever defeating anything. And we have a testimony, or we have a God who has a testimony when the kings of the earth would come to the great city of God, would come to the joy of the whole earth, and they would see the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says they would fear. And by the way, they didn't fear because necessarily of the people or because of the glamour or the excellence of the city. They feared because of the God of that city. This God has a testimony of triumph. Three things here quickly. First of all, this testimony has been established. 
Verse number 8, the Bible says, God will establish it forever. Whether He's talking about the millennial reign and, and Jerusalem during the millennial reign, or whether He's speaking of the fact of verses 4 through 7, of the fear that took hold upon the other kings, of the fact in verse 7, Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. You always win, God, every single time. And listen, this morning, we can buck against God and we can disobey God and we can shake our fist in the face of God and we can say, God, I don't care what your word says. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And by the way, there are a lot of people living that way today. Even some Christians who call themselves Christians who say, I want to live the way I want to live. And they shake their hands in the very face of God. He will win. By the way, He's already won. I don't have to say He will win. He's already won. And we can think that we're, 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 we're winning for the moment, but He's already won. He has a testimony of triumph. That testimony has been established. Secondly, that testimony should be exalted. Look at verses 9 through 11. We have thought of Thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of Thy temple. Again, if, if this is a reference to Hezekiah, Hezekiah, after Rabshakeh came and he's threatening Judah and he's telling all the people of Judah what uh, his king is going to do to Jerusalem. The Bible says that Hezekiah goes into the temple and he lays himself before the Lord and he prays. Maybe, maybe just maybe I think that's a reference to Hezekiah. He says, we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God. We have an enemy coming against us. But we know that you are a refuge. You are our fortress. And we know that enemy is coming. But God, we remember your loving kindness. By the way, the Old Testament loving kindness is, is, is the New Testament grace. He said, I, we remember your loving kindness. You've been so gracious to us. You've been so merciful to us in the past. And we're asking that you'll do it again. This testimony should be exalted. Verse 10. He says, according to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers there, walk about Zion. Look at everything that God has done. By the way, can we not, as Americans, do that today? When we look around our great nation, I know she has her problems, I get that. But can we not look around our great nation and see what God has done? And the psalmist is saying, look, walk around Jerusalem, walk around Mount Zion. The bulwarks are still there. Hey, Assyria, you can come against us. The bulwarks are still here because the great king is our God. Not Sennacherib. He's not the great king. This God is the great king. He has a testimony of triumph. That triumph has been established over and over and over and over and over in the Word. And by the way, that's why that's why I wonder sometimes in my own heart, why in the world do you think you can go against God? Why do you think you can be casual in this area? Why do you think you can, you, you can be flippant in this area? And I'm talking about myself. Because this God is your God. And you know He's absolute in His authority. You know that what He says goes. How in the world do I ever think I could get away with something? Because he has a testimony of triumph. That testimony has been established. That testimony should be exalted. What does he say in verse number 10? He says, according to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Seven times a day. As many times a day as we possibly can, we praise him. He deserves it. He's been so good to us. He's blessed us in so much. He daily loadeth us with benefits. He's been so gracious and loving kindness and showing his loving kindness to us, been so merciful to us. This testimony should be exalted through prayer and praise. And by the way, verse 9, if that's a reference to Hezekiah's praying, what happened? We don't have time, but in 2 Kings chapter 19, Isaiah comes and, actually let me just read, you don't have to turn back there, but let me just read it real quickly. We're almost done. In 2 Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah goes into the temple and he prays. And then in verse number 20, 
of, excuse me, of 2 Kings chapter 19, Isaiah comes and he gives him the message from the Lord. And then in verse number 35, the Bible says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. It came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, smote him with the sword. Huh, great king. His own two sons slew him. The Bible says they escaped into the land of Armenia. This testimony should be exalted. If our God has a testimony of triumph, when the problems come, He should be the first one we run to. That's what Hezekiah did. Sennacherib sends Rabshakeh, and Rabshakeh is saying, Look, we're going to lick you up just like we've licked up all of the other cities and all of the other kings. Hezekiah goes to the temple and he prays. This testimony should be exalted through prayer and praise. And then finally, thirdly, this testimony should be exclaimed. In verse number 13, the Bible says, Mark you well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. Tell what to the generation following? What are we going to tell them? That this God is our God forever and ever. This God who is absolute in His authority, He's the great King. This God who is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, Psalm 46 says, He is the fortress against the foe. This God who has a testimony of triumph. This is our God. And the generations to come ought to hear us exalting and exclaiming, this God is our God. This God. Hey kids, did you see what this God just did for us? Hey kids, did you see what this God just did for that individual that we've been praying for for months? Do you see what this God does? And if the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and so on and so on and so on, if they're going to set their hope in God, then they have to see that this God is our God. And they have to make this God their God. And it's up to us to help them to do it. And by the way, notice verse, last part of verse 14. Notice this. He will be our guide even unto death. What a guide. What a guide to lead us through this life on this side. Because without Him, we're, we're, we're kind of walking blind, aren't we? Without this, the Bible says this is, this is our lamp. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, right? Psalm 119, 105. He is our God even unto death. And then, by the way, when death comes, we're just going to step over that threshold into His glory. He's going to guide us even unto death. This God. Is He your God this morning? I don't mean do you just talk about Him. First of all, is He your God when it comes to the matter of salvation? Have you ever placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel according to the Scriptures? Is He your God this morning? Okay, if He is, then are you allowing His absolute authority to sanctify you on a daily basis? To transform you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do, do you rest, do you trust in the fact that He has a testimony of triumph. When the financial problems come, when the family problems come, when the emotional problems come, when the foes come against you, when the devil comes with temptation after temptation after temptation, do we say, oh, he's my fortress because he has a testimony of triumph or do we run to all the other places? Financial problem comes, oh, got to go to Cash Express. Now, I'm not condemning you if you've ever done that. I'm not doing that this morning. But how about instead of running there first, how about we go to the temple and pray? 
How about we lay ourselves like Isaiah did before, uh, before God in the temple and pray, God, you know what's coming and you know who Sennacherib is and you know the force of their army. God, we need your help. And they didn't even have to lift a finger. 185,000 dead bodies the next morning. He has a testimony of triumph. The simple question is, do we trust it? This God is our God forever. Father, thank you for your word. Father, would you settle in our hearts this morning that you, this God, that you are truly our God? Father, would we, would you help us to exalt that truth? Father, would you help us to exclaim it to the next generation? Would you help us to exclaim it right now in our own lives? Would you help us to trust the fact that we not only have heard, but we have seen? We not only have heard how good you are and the great works you've done, but we've seen it. Father, help us this morning. You know our hearts, you know our needs. Father, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand our feet this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Look, I don't know your heart this morning. I don't know your need, but God does. Is this God, is He truly your God this morning? Do you know Him first of all in salvation? And then if you are saved, if you know that without a doubt, you've placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, you've done that, you know without a doubt, you have the witness of the Holy Spirit, you know that you're saved. Then let me ask you, is this God your God just in your everyday Christian life? Are you allowing Him to conform you, to transform you into His image? Are you allowing Him to do that? If not, why wouldn't we just tell Him this morning, Lord, You are my God. This God is my God. You are my God. Your authority is absolute. And God, I'm going to allow it to be so. Miss Joe's playing. If you need to come, come. I don't know your heart this morning. I don't know your needs. I don't know all the needs this morning. But if you need to come, come. If you need to come and make this platform an altar, do so. If you didn't kneel right where you're at and make your own pew an altar, would you do so? When's the last time that you actually allowed the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and when He did, you actually moved and responded on it? When's the last time you've actually been to the altar? When's the last time you've actually made an altar somewhere? whether it was in your house, whether it was here at church, whether it was in your car, you actually made an altar somewhere and just allowed the Lord to deal with you. This God. The psalmist says, For this God is our God. Forever and ever. Mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that ye may tell it, to the generation following. Most of you in here this morning, you have, you have beautiful places to live. You have beautiful homes. You have beautiful possessions. Do you ever stop and just look at your kids or maybe your grandkids or, or anybody for that matter, maybe just a friend? You ever just stop? Just say, boy, God's been awful good to me. This God is my God. You ever just looked around at the goodness? You ever looked around at the, just the mercifulness of God? Those bulwarks were still there in the day of Hezekiah because God was being merciful to Judah. Judah had some great reform and revival under the leadership of Hezekiah. But God could have just as easily taken Jerusalem out before Hezekiah. Because they deserved it. But those bulwarks and those palaces were a testimony and a proof and an evidence of the mercifulness and the loving kindness of their God. He's given us another opportunity to repent. He's given another opportunity for us to get right with Him. Look at the blessing. 185,000 of our enemies slain and defeated in one night. What a good God. This God. Parents, grandparents, members of Maranatha Baptist Church, are we helping other people 
whether it's children, whether it's grandchildren, whether it's teenagers, whether it's young adults and young couples, are we helping other people see how good our God truly is? This God is our God. By the way, adults, that's why we can't, we can't major on the negative all the time. I'm not talking about positive thinking per se as the new age world would think of it, but when we constantly fix our attention upon the negative and are constantly complaining, how little must our children think of our God? How little must our co-workers think of our God? He must not have a very good God. He's always complaining. She's always complaining. She's always negative about everything. What kind of God is that? can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest when we give Him our body and souls. Amen. This God, is He your God this morning? Amen. Amen. What a good God we serve. What a wonderful, great God. The great King. So thankful for that this morning. Hey, teenagers, you may not understand it right now because your mind is, is just a lot of mush right now. God, God is building your mind right now. But you serve a good God. You have parents who have a good God. You have a church that serves and worships the God of the Bible. And I pray that this God, your parents' God, your pastor's God, the God of the Bible will be your God. For this God is our God forever. Amen and amen. Let's pray we'll be dismissed. Look forward to seeing you back tonight. Brother Adam Haynes, would you pray for us please, sir?